0: Welcome once again to the Speakers Inc. We Speak Global Speakers Showcase. My name is Dwayne and as always a huge pleasure to bring you the next of our fantastic speakers. Today it is the turn of Sipiwe Moyo. Sipiwe is a perpetual student of organizational behavior, a speaker hall of fame and educator hall of fame inductee incredible he teaches and speaks on improving employee effectiveness every single company out there wants to do exactly that improve employee effectiveness ladies and gentlemen once we are done with listening to superior we ask him a couple of questions as we always do in the speakers showcase series we then give you the opportunity to log on to speakers inc Dot com. Talk to Bronwyn, talk to Duncan, and they will tell you how you can make use of Sipiwe for your next event. But right now, please put your hands together and a warm welcome to Sipiwe Moyo.
1: My name is Sipiwe Moyo and I'm an Organizational Behavior Specialist. Today I want to talk to you about a topic that I've entitled, You Are the Difference. Just three keys that will help us inspire excellence, not drive it inspire excellence in our teams. I think we have to acknowledge that each and every person in an organization is the difference. Traditionally, there are three ways to get results out of people that we've been taught over the years. The first one is you can inspire them. You can paint a mental picture of a picture that they would want to participate in, an inspiring picture, an inspirational picture. And it needs to be a picture, not a graph or a spreadsheet. I know many leaders love graphs and spreadsheets, but there's a reason why Martin Luther King never said, I have a graph, I have a spreadsheet. (laughs) He said, I have a dream. So we must paint great dreams that our people will be able to respond to. The second thing that people do to get us to work is to dangle a carrot, um, inspire us through long-term incentives, short-term incentives, and so on. And if everything else fails, you can just threaten them that approach not highly recommended. I think there's many other ways that people try to inspire confidence and inspire people over the team But in this book by Daniel Pink, we also understand that you can only use incentives so far. There comes a point where incentives don't work. They're not a great long-term strategy uh, because one of the things that happen when you use incentives is that they reduce that intrinsic motivation that people will have. So we cannot rely on incentives forever. You can only inspire peak performance you cannot drive it I want to to argue beautiful book called shine uh, one of the people in that book a man who has been shining people's shoes in an airport for a very long time as he said that in each and every one of us there's a spark that needs someone to shine it and so when i talk about this talk about three levers that we can pull in order to inspire people in our teams the first one is we need accountability at all levels we need each and every employee to take accountability to take responsibility for their work to own their work how do you do that it's very important for us to understand before you can do that there are five barriers to performance that leaders need to remove Five things that we need to remove in order to unleash the performance of people. The first one is the tools. Can we make sure that we've given people the tools that they're supposed to have? Unless you've given people tools, uh, you cannot demand performance because have you actually given them the tools to do the work that they're supposed to do? You should make sure that the environment is conducive. The environment that they work in is conducive for them to work. You need a good environment to work. If you are in the office, You need an office where you can just bump into hot people like Spiromo on the corridor, randomly like, yay, fire. (laughs) So we need to make sure that the environment is conducive. As leaders, we also need to clarify the expectations that we have of people. If you cannot clarify the expectations that you have, people will not know what to do. So tell people what you expect from them that will help them to do the things that they're supposed to do and provide instantaneous feedback. One of those days where we used to do performance reviews uh, twice a year, uh, they were weird, man. Imagine you do something in February and your boss waits until July to tell you on the media reviews that what you did in February was not good. Why didn't you tell me in February? So we need to make sure that we give people feedback and it must be instantaneous. And lastly, we need to make sure that people have the skills to do what we want them to do. If people do not have the skills, we cannot say that they haven't performed. So those are the five things that can become barriers to performance that is leaders we must remove before we demand accountability but once we've done that and then we need everybody to look in their mirror and lead themselves because generally speaking the toughest person that you will ever have to lead is you. The toughest person that I'll ever have to lead is myself. It is much easier to lead other people than it is to lead ourselves. So many people get overwhelmed by what seems to be big tasks and big problems and big challenges and big, to them, everything is too big. The challenge is too big. The target is too high. Our competitors are too good. Many people get paralyzed by what seems to be big things and big tasks. I think people allow things that they can't do to stop them from doing things that they can do. So when you have employees who are paralyzed by all these big things, uh, allowing things that they can't do to stop them from doing things that they can do. For them, something should be done about this. Someone should do something about it. What if that someone is them what if that someone is you and i think we need to make sure that we increase individual accountability in the in the next in the workplace because many people feel that whatever they do does not matter they feel that whatever i am doing cannot make a difference but that is a lie it's easy to feel that whatever you're doing cannot make a difference but it can It can make a huge difference the problems of the world are too many and this can make people to think that whatever they they are doing is not important i want to tell you a story that is one is told Uh, we're told that there was this man who loved going to the ocean to do some writing. He was an author and he loved writing in front of the ocean. So one day he goes to the ocean as usual to do some writing. And as he approaches the shore, he sees this young man who's frantically working along the shore. And he was asking himself, I wonder what this young man is doing. Eventually ask him, young man, you look so busy. What are you up to? The young man says, "Sir." The thing is there was a lot of wind and it pushed all the starfish outside of the ocean and so i'm trying to push the starfish back into the ocean because as you know especially when it's this hot starfish cannot survive out of the ocean for too long i'm trying to help them trying to save their lives the elderly man with a lot of experience look at how big the problem is looks at how many starfish were affected and says young men you're wasting your time the problem is too big you cannot make a difference the young men looks at him naively, takes one starfish, throws it back into the ocean and says, Sir, I know I can't make a difference in all of them, but I've just made a difference on that one. I've just saved that. This is the kind of attitude that we need in organizations today, where each and every one of us understand that you can make a difference. You are the difference. Whatever small thing that you are doing is actually helping, because many of us get overwhelmed by things that we cannot change instead of focusing on the things that we can change. If you save one starfish and I save one, would have made a difference. Just like uh, Mother Teresa once said, if you can't feed 100, just feed one. And if you feed one and I feed one and somebody else feeds one, eventually we've made a huge difference. So we need that accountability at all levels to inspire people that they can make a difference. The second point I talk about in this talk is cultivating positive emotions in the workplace we need a workplace that is full of positive emotions in these challenging times and it needs each and every person to know how to cultivate their own positive emotion which is absolutely critical because positive emotions can uh, correlate positively with performance so we need to do it let me explain why generally we don't experience positive emotions as much as we want to psychologists often talk about something called the hedonic treadmill that many of us are always chasing happiness and just like in a treadmill you chase you chase but you don't really get anyway that many of us we have a baseline level of happiness and after a positive event we experience a bit of a spike in our happiness level but immediately after it goes down to that baseline level of happiness And that's why we generally don't have a sustained and authentic happiness. So we need to be able to cultivate this positive emotion and help people in our teams to cultivate this positive emotion. And we do that through a process called savoring. Savoring, as you can imagine, is that process, you know when you drink a good cup of coffee, you can either gulp it because you want caffeine, or you could savor the moment and smell the aroma and taste it. Uh, beautifully so that you can enjoy it and so savouring techniques will help us tap into some positive emotions that we have forgotten because i mean you know to be honest with you we are we generally experience positive emotions when we experience that one you know that positive emotion called oh Eesh, the, the first time i went to a place called umshanga in south africa have you been to south africa if you haven't you must come there's a place in KwaZulu called Umslanga. The promenade in, it's just absolutely beautiful. The first time I went there, I was in awe. I was like, oh my God, something so beautiful. But here's the problem familiarity robs us of this positive emotion called awe. When I went to Umslanga for the seventh time, you no longer see how amazing it is. Actually, you sit in a room and you work. What a pity! And that's why familiarity robs us of this positive emotion. So in order to sustain a positive emotion, we must tap into uh, that positive emotion through techniques called savoring. And in this talk, I highlight six ways to savor and to make sure that you can lift yourself when you are experiencing negative emotions. What are these? The first one is called gratitude. You know, there's a reason when people go to psychologists, psychologists often give them an exercise to say, write three things that you are grateful for every day for the next 21 days. And this exercise has been proven to increase the level of positive emotion by a huge margin. So it's very important that we pause and, and, and pause and think about what are we grateful for? What are you grateful for? Uh, do the exercise with the team and say guys what are we grateful for here at work you're not trying to say people must not confront uh, issues that are that needs confronting but just pausing and realizing what you're grateful for can help you increase your own positive emotion the second one is what we call capitalization capitalization is the idea that if you have good news When you share those good news with other people, two things happen. The first one is it intensifies the feeling, that excitement. It intensifies the positive emotion, but also it sustains it. So when we have good news, please don't move on too quickly. Spread the good news. Tell people, your significant others, tell as many people as possible because when you do that it intensifies that positive emotion but also it sustains it. Don't move on too quickly. The third one is what we call behavioral expression. That when you feel good and you express how good you feel, you feel even better. How incredible is that. Not like those people who like I promise I'm happy inside. I'm happy inside. <laughs> I'm joking, not not all of us are expressive, but it's important to just express how good you feel. You know, one of my favorite pastimes is attending stand-up comedy shows. And because I understand this trick, when I attend my stand-up comedy shows, I sit front row. Many people are afraid of the front row because comedians can make fun of you the whole day. But I'm the front row. First joke by a comedian, I'm on the floor. I'm like... people are like spew was it really that funny i'm like i don't care i paid (laughs) i'm gonna benefit from this because when i feel good and i express it i feel even better so it's very important for us to pause feel good express how good we feel do not move on too quickly the fourth one is self-congratulation many of us never self-congratulate i think it's much easier to sell to say self-deprecating words than it is to self-congratulate. When was the last time you paused and say, wow, I've come so far, I've reached the pinnacle of my career, I have the job of my dreams, I have a family, congratulations, I have done so well. It's very important to pause and congratulate so that we cultivate these positive emotions um, that we need to cultivate. The fifth one is what we called memorabilia, that when we travel and we collect memorabilia or we collect certain memory memories, when you look at those memories later, you tap into the same positive emotion you felt when you collected those memories. So take those pictures, collect that memorabilia. Don't move on too quickly. Make sure that you can savor that moment and enjoy it later. The last one is just the idea of being fully present, that when you have dinner with your partner, One day I said that someone said, which partner, Spew? which partner? Are you going to give me the partner? (laughs) Make sure that you're fully present when you do something. Because when you're fully present, you tend to enjoy it a little bit better. So we must cultivate these positive emotions in order for us to feel good and work. And as leaders, we can create an environment that can cultivate this positive emotion. And in the longer version of the talk, I'm able to to help you with, with that. The third element of making sure that we can inspire confidence is cultivating and fostering something called psychological capital. I don't have time to get through the whole of it, but psychological capital is something that is so powerful. Many people might not know this, but up until 1998, the study of psychology really had focused on what we call pathology. On what is wrong with human beings and on the weaknesses instead of the strengths. 1998, the incoming president of the American Psychological Association, a guy by the name of Dr. Martin Seligman, whom some of us might know, proposed that surely if we can study what is wrong with human beings, maybe we can also study what is right with human beings. Out of that, there was born a field, a subfield of psychology called positive psychology, and under positive psychology there is a subject called positive organizational behavior this is a subject that i teach at some of the best business schools in in africa and uh, i've even written a book called positive organizational behavior a south african perspective check it out on amazon and in this uh, positive psychology there's something called psychological capital which is very very powerful and is correlated with uh, performance it's an incredible thing we we know a few things about cycle psych uh, uh, cap we know that you can increase the level of hope people have you can be able as a leader to cultivate the level of hope for yourself and the level of hope for your team one of the ways you do that particularly for hope, is that you pause and celebrate milestones. If people have done well in your team, you must pause and celebrate milestones. Don't be that leader who only wants to celebrate once people have done everything. Pause, celebrate, celebrate the milestones of people. It will really help. So the elements of psychological capital includes number one, hope that I've just spoken about. Secondly, it includes something called uh, self-efficacy, self-belief. The people must believe in their own abilities, to be able to do the things that they're supposed to do, to perform. There's a correlation between self-efficacy and smashing those goals. So as a leader, you can help people cultivate their self-efficacy. One thing that you can do uh, to help people cultivate their self-efficacy is to give them positive feedback when they've done well. Positive feedback when they've done well, which you can do in publicly publicly, but um, give negative feedback in private. When someone is battling with self-efficacy, the last thing you want to do is to give them negative feedback publicly. You're going to kill them. So the second element of side-cap is self-efficacy. The third element is resilience. That ability to bounce back after setbacks is critical. And the last element is cultivating optimism, Optimism is a crucial way and there are various ways in which we can help people to cultivate their own optimism and it's very important to do that. I don't have time today to take you all of them but one of the ways to cultivate optimism is to remind people to depersonalize failure. Many people personalize failure. Uh, You tried out a strategy, it failed, you believe you are a failure but you are not a failure just because a strategy did not work. You are not a bad farmer simply because there is no rain. As long as you do the things that you're supposed to do, cultivate the soil, water the soil, then you are not a bad farmer at all. So, cultivating including includes helping people develop their hope, their optimism, their resilience and self-efficacy. And as leaders, we can use certain strategies to be able to do that. But in closing, in order for us to help people, you wanna ask people, in the team to think about this concept this analogy are you a guest speaker or are you a host in your organization many people want to act as if they're guest speakers in the organization but they're not you should be a host i use this analogy as i close uh, guest speaker versus a host because i'm a professional speaker so i speak in conferences all the time and you know there's a difference in mindsets when you are a guest speaker and when you're a host i've done both so i know i know you know when a guest speaker you come into the conference room maybe one hour before your slot you look like a guest speaker you smell like a guest speaker there's a guest speaker smell (laughs) you don't know the guest speaker smell that's the one that makes everybody in the conference room go whoa. But interestingly, uh, normally when the conference is starting, there's congestion at the parking. People can't find parking anywhere. But as a guest speaker, you don't get involved in that. Someone is bound to say, Mr. Moyo, please come this side. Here's parking for you. Uh, usually there's the long registration queues that you don't get involved in. If you are speaking on stage and the mic shuts down or the screen shuts down, as a guest speaker, you just fold your arms. There's always an AV team that's going to sort it out. But here's the difference you know, when you're a host, Firstly, you are there two hours before everybody. Even if you are wearing a suit, if there's a congestion at the parking, you take that jacket off, you fold your sleeves, you help alleviate the parking problem. If the registration queue is too long, you start another queue and you register people yourself. If you are speaking and the mic shuts down, and the screen shuts down, you cannot fold your arms as the host. You can't. It is your conference. Even if you don't know what to do, all you have to do is to intimidate the AV team. Just stand and look at the back and go, guys, guys, and then they know they must sort it out. Why? Because you are not a host, you are the guest speaker. So cultivating accountability means reminding everyone in the team, you are not the guest speaker in the company, you are the host. If things are going wrong, you cannot just throw your hands up in despair. You need to get involved. And in this talk, I challenge people so much to become the host and not the guest speaker. Thank you very much. It was great to be with you. I hope I will see you shortly.
0: Sapirwe, thank you so very much for being with us. Very valuable insights and I most certainly do have a couple of questions. One of those being, you mentioned performance management. You also said it was changing. If it is changing, how is it changing? And tell me more about that particular aspect. Yeah, and I was
1: mentioning that the one of the things that we know about um, effective management is that we need to give people regular feedback. One of the challenges with performance management in the way we used to do it is that we would do performance management twice a year. So we have what we call media reviews, annual reviews, and then you do something in February, but your boss doesn't tell you. I'm going to get you in a July media review, and then in July, they tell you, what you didn't do well in February, which which is not very, a very good way to manage me. So performance management is changing. Many companies around the world have started doing quite instantaneous feedback. So weekly check-ins, monthly check-ins so that we're able to track how I'm doing throughout the year instead of waiting for those uh, media and annual uh, reviews. So firstly, it's, back, it's becoming quite regular, but secondly, other companies are even ditching the idea of a forced ring rating. So the fact that people must be rated between one and five, three being the middle of the road, which basically everyone just get around three because we're forcing this bell curve. That is also changing. So many companies are doing away with the forced ratings and just having conversations with people, ensuring that people know what they need to do. And managers are helping people throughout the year uh, to be able to do what they're supposed to do instead of those forced ratings. It's a bit tricky because and um, if you're going to ditch the ratings, what are you replacing them with, which is yes. where many companies are battling. But I think everybody understands that performance as we used to do it, has, is is quite broken, to be honest.
0: I hate to bring it up, but do you think it's got a lot to do with COVID in terms of the way people are responding after COVID, pre-COVID, post-COVID? Do you think those rating systems now are very different and that has a big role to play? Yes, absolutely. So what we already know,
1: just like many things in the world of work, uh, performance ratings and the way we've been doing performance rating, we were already questioning the value of ratings even before COVID. What happened then during COVID is that suddenly people are not working from from work and they're still producing. And it has just accelerated the conversation around whether we should teach those or not, because we've seen some people can work from home, some can't, but the the idea now really uh, out, output-based uh, performance management. If, if, if you tell me what I need to do, you tell me by when, you show
0: me the standard, leave me
1: alone, let me do it.
0: Yes. A really practical question. What would you, POS, suggest as a really good place to move into from this point to that point in terms of performance management? If we're going to ditch the ratings completely, what do we replace that with going forward, in your opinion? I mean, is it something, do we still have a system in place where people are rated on a different scale? Is it just a slightly different way of looking at things? Or do we scrap it completely and move into something else that you can suggest? I think what is
1: becoming clear is that all of those need to be quite personalized. Because obviously when you have a team, you're going to have one person in the team, that us call him Spure, <laughs> who is... <laughs> Very very diligent, uh, self motivated. Who doesn't need a lot of uh, might for management and so on? If you have somebody who's self motivated and they perform, you can just literally leave them alone to do what they're supposed to do. But if you have it's, another person in the team who is not that uh, you know not that motivated, and then you can close the gap. And so what it what is becoming clear is that it's becoming more personalised. And we need to have independent, individual contributions and individual rating systems per member,
0: uh, if possible. It sounds to me like man management. I'm a big sports fan. This sounds like something the manager of a really good team would know how to do. Every single person deserves yeah. and requires a different approach and a different mentality and a different energy from you as well as a manager. Am I right?
1: they they absolutely do and unfortunately what we've done is that because there's no time we've just managed everybody the same and i think yes. there is a push towards individualized personalized management because i know the strengths of this particular individual and one of the things that was discouraging is that if i'm self-motivated and, and i deliver and then, you you know, a manager sends an email to everybody. Some people are not working here. I know I was working, so that is quite discouraging. So we definitely do need a personalized, individualized performance management in order to unleash the greatness of people in organizations.
0: Organizations are changing so rapidly. Is that why you really are so passionate about what you do? Because you're bringing a very fresh approach to the business workplace and to the, the general business feeling on a day-to-day basis is that what really inspires you to keep going the fact that we are changing and you can have some sort of effect on people in terms of how they change and the way we change yes absolutely organizations are changing and what what i
1: always argue is that individual effectiveness leads to organizational effectiveness not the other oh. way around so yes. if we can manage to unleash. Uh, the potential of people individually and remove the barriers that could uh, hamper their individual performance. As soon as one person is performing, another person is performing, then suddenly we have this thing called organizational effectiveness. Individual effectiveness is a catalyst to organizational effectiveness. And if we wanna make sure that our organizations uh, keep being effective in terms of profitability, productivity, productivity, and all the outputs that we want, It is our
0: job to remove as many barriers to performance as we can. I think you're so right. Every effective organization is a sum of effective parts, I would think. I'm gonna ask you a quick question, if you don't mind, Sipiwe, I've just noticed that your camera has frozen, but I'm gonna keep going with the interview anyway. Won't you just switch your camera off for me quickly and switch it back on? I think it might just be a little bit of a connectivity issue at this point, but we're gonna keep going because this is really how we live our lives. In this day and age, we make sure that we can be flexible, we can work on the move, we can work on the fly. Can you still hear me, Sipiwe? I can hear you perfectly. It looks like my screen
1: um, is is no longer there, but I
0: can hear you perfectly. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say to you that we are having such a nice chat. Don't worry too much about the screen at this point. We'll superimpose a really handsome picture of yourself over the screen while we have our chat anyway. Like I said, you're very passionate. You've got a lot of energy when it comes to talking about this particular aspect of business and how you can make those changes. I am, however, going to get a bit more personal right now and ask you... What gets Sipiwe out of bed in the morning and what keeps you motivated to keep trying to work with people and wanting to work with people to help them to become better versions of themselves? What gets you going?
1: Oh, that's such a nice question, Dwayne. Um, I'm, I'm an HR and organizational behavior specialist, right? And one of my passions is that a lot of people are... Uh, i feeling a little bit discouraged by corporate life. You know, I left corporate life about 13 years ago. I still loved it. If if I could, I would still be in corporate and do what I do. But one of the things I'm realizing is that a lot of people are becoming despondent about how corporate life is not helping them unleash their individual brilliance anymore. That that we're putting to this sandwich machine and we're supposed to think the same, we're putting this machine and we're supposed to do things the same. And my passion really is to say, corporate can still be fun. Corporate can still be a a, a particular place where you can be able to unleash your greatness. And my, my passion is to say, how can we as leaders stop getting in the way from people? And giving them a little bit of guidance, remove barriers that you know get into their way, and help them unleash their greatness. So my passion is that work should be fun. Um, everybody at work should be as passionate as I am in this interview, but yes. I think sometimes what the things that we do as leaders are become those kind of barriers that we no longer able to give people space or being great. Mm -hmm. And and we lose so many people maybe who want to go to the gig economy, the freelance economy, who didn't even want to go. But it's because Mm -hmm. we've created a stifling environment where they feel like I have no choice but to go because there's no space here
0: i know it's a really difficult question because things change so quickly and as we found out again with COVID, things do change in ways that we could never ever have expected i'm gonna ask you to put your forward thinking hat on just for a second let's go five years forward in business how do you think the role in particular of hr in the country is going to change in the next five how how do you think business and the way we react and behave on a basis days can on a basis every single day how do you think that's going to move going forward say five years four or five years from now
1: a lot of it in my view is going to depend on whether we are not going to be Clutching back to the so-called old world before covid so one of the things that is happening now is that many many organizations are going back to the office which by itself is not a big problem but they're literally trying to go back to the world pre-covid in my view where suddenly again we're forgetting everything that we've learned in the past two years suddenly we don't have flexible working practices suddenly people must come in at eight suddenly there's no output-based uh, remuneration and output-based management so a lot of it is going to depend and i think at the moment everybody's just trying to get back to the office but i feel like in the next year or so people are going to say okay we've rushed back into the office let's come down now let's just remember what we've learned in the last two years and see how we can implement those and liberate people once again so in the next five years or so I think the role of HR would have changed significantly because uh, many people know how to switch uh, do their contracts online, pay slips online. All those admin-related things are going to be redundant in terms of our role. We are going to be um, creating employee experience. Our biggest thing will be to create a great employee experience where people will want to come work or work instead of coming to work, where people are gonna want to work and I want to enjoy their roles. So I think the role of HR will be more employee experience than anything else.
0: Well, I must be honest, I find it fascinating talking to somebody like you, because like I said right up front, you've got that energy and that enthusiasm and the passion for this. And I agree with you completely. I think there's been a big knee jerk reaction in terms of everybody jumping back to where we were pre-COVID, which I think is a mistake. And I think you're right. It's going to settle down and some really good balance between the two. Existences will then prevail. Thank you so much for your time today. I really could talk to you for hours. I am, however, going to say thank you very much for your time. Thank you again for your energy and your real enthusiasm. I'm also going to thank everybody online who's been watching this interview and watched the talk. Thank you very much for once again being with us at the Speakers Inc. We Speak Global Speakers Showcase. Another great speaker brought to you today. If indeed you'd like to find out more about CPWare, please log on to speakersinc.com. Find out everything you need to know and find out how you can make Sapiwe part of your next event this is the language of the future i can guarantee you and Sapiwe is talking it ladies and gentlemen thank you so much once again Sapiwe, thank you to you thank you for being with us and we'll see you all again on the next showcase thank you so much cheers